October, Friday the 13th, 1989, Jimmy Wade Martin's body was found on a street in the small town of Bonterre, Missouri. When there are witnesses, a murder weapon, and a taped confession, how exactly does a murder become a cold case? This case has not ended by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of people in that town's not going to. You know, talk. rumor has it it was big brawl, big bar fight. County jail. We have been working so hard on this. I can't be silent anymore. You know, like you know that guy that got killed here last night. There was rumors going around like the next day. We started doing a lot with Facebook. The question is, what happened to Jimmy Wade Martin? From Blueburn Productions. This is Small Town Forgotten. I'm your host, Chris Holsey. Welcome back to Small Town Forgotten. Thank you for returning. Thank you for listening to our story. We have not put out an episode for a very long time, and I'm guessing that many of you thought it was over, or that we had given up. Although we will never give up, you can see how easily a murder case can turn cold. How if the people who are not directly affected by the murder don't keep it going themselves, that it will be forgotten. Time is trying to rob us of justice. Money, attention, and resources are going to what seems like more pressing concerns. Memories are fading, and even worse, witnesses and people who know the truth about that night are dying. Many people who lived around the neighborhood where the murder happened have since passed away. Many who were directly involved in the early investigation of 1989 have passed. The world turns, time marches on, and the clock is running out. Back in August, the legendary mineral area forensic pathologist Dr. Zarekor, who performed Jimmy's autopsy in 1989, passed away. The twins and I were lucky to meet Dr. Zarekor and interview him on our second episode in 2020. He was generous with his time, informative, and surprised that no one had been convicted of Jimmy's murder. At the time of the autopsy, I did forensic pathology for most of the counties in southeast Missouri and was asked by Ken Buckley, the acting coroner and sheriff at the time of St. Francis County to do the autopsy, which was done, was it October 16th of uh, 1989? That's right. Well, you know, I hope it helped. I hope I'm still around if you can get this to court. But I'm sure if not, I think the autopsy report and the preliminary hearing they could use, and that would be probably all you need. With each death, time is taking away hope. We can't let that happen. So why have we not put out an episode? I'll start there. The fact is that we had an insider scoop that we thought was going to change everything. An addition of resources that would see this cold case finally go to trial. That's our goal, after all. To have charges filed for the person responsible for the murder of Jimmy Wade Martin. For them to stand in front of a jury of their peers and be judged for their crime. And to pay for that crime. 
So we have been waiting to release updates, interviews, and any news that could potentially jeopardize the case. Because of that, we were patiently waiting, and waiting, and waiting. After three decades, we could afford to be a little patient, right? But here we are. Are we closer? We aren't sure. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Have you ever heard that quote by Benjamin Franklin that says, Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Well, we are proof that that quote is true. We will never get anywhere until others outside those affected by Jimmy Wade's murder care. And this is why we do the podcast. With every episode, Jimmy's army grows. With over a half a million listeners, his story, the twins' story, our small town story gets bigger and more people care. People are constantly reaching out to us, asking for updates, asking when the next episode is coming, asking when justice is coming. We are so thankful for the many people who are following this podcast, and especially the many people involved in this case who have come forward. But it is the deciders, the people who can make the arrest, press the charges, and finally bring this case to trial Those are the true unaffected that we need to get outraged. Although the podcast has been silent, the twins and us here at Small Town Forgotten have not been. We are still following leads, talking to people, looking over the case files, doing anything and everything that we can to reach our goal. To that end, Sean Lee Martin our producer and director have been reaching out to the newly elected prosecuting attorney, Blake Dudley, to get an update on the case since taking it over from the former PA, Melissa Gilliam. This past week, we received a letter in response. It goes as follows. Dear Mr. Martin, Shortly after I was elected, and some time before I could take office, I was given a very brief overview of the investigation into the murder of Jimmy Martin. This past spring, I met with the Assistant Missouri Attorney General Kevin Zollner, his investigator, investigators with the Missouri State Highway Patrol, and detectives with the St. Francis County Sheriff's Department in a collaborative effort to assess the evidence collected to date and form a course of action. While no final decisions were made, We did agree to make some follow-up inquiries and get back together later this summer. Due to the Assistant Attorney General's obligations in other active murder cases, we were unable to get together this summer. Unfortunately, the medical examiner in this matter, Dr. Michael Zarekor, recently passed away. A new medical examiner is now in the process of reviewing Dr. Zarekor's records and past testimony in order to form opinions essential to any charging decisions. Once this process is completed, I anticipate the team will meet again and proceed forward. Sincerely, Michael B. Dudley, Prosecuting Attorney of St. Francis County. This is the news that we thought could change everything, and it's why we were willing to be patient. We are elated that the state of Missouri's Attorney General's office is taking an interest in this small town case. 
The St. Francis County deciders and the state of Missouri deciders are meeting and they are talking about Jimmy Wade Martin's murder. He is not forgotten. Our small town is not forgotten. So why then are we having an episode now? Clearly, we are still waiting for the decision makers. But knowing that justice for Jimmy has the attention of the new prosecuting attorney Blake Dudley and the state of Missouri is a major step forward for all of us. This is how the twins have done this all along. Step by step. Hello, small town forgotten listeners. My name is Bob Miller, and I'm the host of a podcast I think you'll find interesting. It's called The Lawless Files. Like Small Town Forgotten, The Lawless Files is a scrappy, serial true crime narrative based here in Missouri, just south of Cape Girardeau. My podcast exposes all of the lies told by the identical twin who was the state's key witness that put the wrong man in prison, and all the ways the sheriff looked the other way. If you've appreciated the work that's gone into Small Town Forgotten, check out The Lawless Files. Can I be blunt? The men responsible for the murder of Jimmy Wade Martin are going to your church on Sundays. They're shopping at your local hardware store. They are living their life free to hurt again. Small Town Forgotten has had so many people, so many witnesses, so many people who know things reach out because of this podcast. People are outraged. If a podcast can inspire someone to come forward after 30 plus years to be outraged with us, then every episode is a step in the right direction. A step to justice for Jimmy. As you heard in the clip at the beginning, a man reached out after hearing the podcast and reading a Daily Journal article about the twins. Remember how everyone knows everyone around St. Francis County? Well, this man's name is David Cravens, and he was an English professor that I had while attending Mineral Area College over a decade ago. He reached out to me over Facebook, and we connected. Hello. Hey, David. Hey, Chris. Hey, buddy. Chris Olsey, how are you? Good. How are you, bud? I'm doing good. We can discuss if you want your name to be used or if you would rather remain anonymous. Um, that's, no, a, that's your if I'm call. Gonna, yeah, if I'm going to do this, I, I stand behind it. Okay. So you, so you want us to use your name? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, great. Just as a brief intro here, I left my job. I had to leave my job at the college. Uh, it was the summer of 2018 to move out to Colorado because my father had gotten sick and, and they weren't going to let him stay at home by himself anymore. And I was out there in Colorado when I, and I was checking on local news when I came across this story of uh, Jimmy Martin's daughters. And um, them looking for, you know, uh, the be- man or people who uh, killed their father. And it got me to thinking about something that happened years ago. Then I heard your podcast. And a couple of things that, that we might could mention in a bit jarred my memory even further. But uh, so basically what had happened was I, I graduated high school in 1989. And... That fall, I was out with some friends of mine, Kevin and his older brother, uh, Jesse. And, uh, you know, we were just kids. We were out drinking, fooling around. And, but I, I was no, none of us were, um, how do I put it, uh, 
strangers to seedy people. And uh, Jesse wanted to go by this guy's house. And uh, we ended up going over there. It was right where, if you're from Farmington, um, right at the meeting of 00 and 32 and Karsh Boulevard. There were some little brick, one or two unit housing units. And uh, we ended up in there with this guy and his girlfriend. And uh, again, it, it was no stranger to see people, but this guy was beyond the pale right from the start. He was uh, definitely putting off some bad vibes. So anyway, uh, it was me, Kevin and Jesse, this guy and his girlfriend. We were sitting around a table, like a card table in the living room. And uh, this is neither here nor there. It's just something that I remember. Uh, we had the television on. And uh, something was on, something was on about ghosts. I remember that. And, uh, you know, Kevin, knowing how I felt about, you know, superstitious nonsense, uh, could tell I was getting ready to say something. I think he kicked me under the table. Like, you know, not here. This isn't the time or the place. And, of course, he was right, so I kept my mouth shut. But um, it wasn't that much later that um, this guy, and incidentally, when I heard your podcast, I know that David White, I believe he mentioned, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he was like 5'11 and 140 pounds or so. Yes. And this guy was definitely bigger than that. Uh, he was what I would call an endomorph. He had a t-shirt on, kind of rough looking, uh, didn't have real long hair, but it wasn't real short either. Uh, but anyway, I was just kidding around with Jesse, uh, Kevin's brother, and this guy just out of the blue pulls a knife out of his pocket. He's sitting opposite me uh, at this card table. Pulls a knife out of his pocket, unfolds it, and points it at me, and basically threatens to, you know, cut me open if I say another word about Jesse. It was something reasonably inoffensive, you know. Uh, I've known the guy for a long time. But, uh, you know, I think at that point we were started looking for an exit. But, uh, you know, the guy seemed to forget about it just as quick as he, you know, lost his temper and done it uh but anyway we we i think we had a few more beers but uh and we ended up running out and he wanted to he wanted to send one of us uh, of course we were underage but jesse wasn't um to get more beer because he had if i remember correctly he had had a recent run-in with the law probably a dui and he didn't want to drive and I think in the end, we ended up sending uh, his girlfriend went to get us some more. And when she was gone, that's when he started talking to Jesse uh, and had made mention of this murder, uh, that getting into a fight with somebody outside of the bar in Bonterre. And what stuck with me was the fact that he said he did him with a 4 by 4 And at first, my, in my mind, I was thinking 4 by 4 like the vehicle. And then I realized he meant a board. and it, it just struck me as awkward because, you know, if you've ever picked up a 4 by 4 you know how awkward that would be to swing at somebody. But that's just one of the things that stuck out in my mind. Um, but anyway, uh, we got out of there, Kevin and I, we left Jesse there. And uh, once uh, the girlfriend had gotten back, and uh, I guess that morning we were back out of Kevin's house and, you know, Jesse, he was, he was a tough guy. And I, he told this story. He said that when we left, she has ended up saying something that set this guy off. And he had just got on top of her and beating her up really bad. And I really remember getting the impression that Jesse, you know, was intimidated by this guy so much so that he 
didn't step in. And I remember finding that disconcerting because Justin was a tough dude. But again, this guy was bad news. He was, uh, he wasn't anybody to mess with. Um, and one thing I want to mention about when he was talking about this, uh, I do remember he was talking and it wasn't I or me. Uh, it was first person plural. It was we. We did this. We did that. Um, so I got the distinct impression that there was another person with him when it happened. But, uh, like I said, uh, Chris, I know it's not a lot, um, but I hope that it helps some way. Um, I was hoping to do four things, um, basically to give you what the guy looked like, where he lived, that he was with somebody else and that he may have recently been in trouble for a DWI or a DUI prior to that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I hope that uh, it can help in some little way. Yeah, it's, you know, without saying too much, you know, not that you don't know what we know about, you know, your involvement mm-hmm. in this. It, the story, when I when I read your message, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks because a lot of the things you were saying were lining up with the characters that we're, we've been putting together. Good, um, good, good. Can you remember when you were listening to the podcast? Did, did something specifically click or... Had you thought uh, the, that, go ahead. The, I think the four by four, uh, mention of the four by four made everything click. Yeah. And I mean, did you know, as soon as something clicked in your mind, did you think I'm going to call them or, or what made you send me a message? Oh, I sat on it for a day or two, but you know, it's a good cause. And I, I felt for the girls wanting to know what happened to the father. And I thought if there's anything that, I could do to help, but, you know, I wanted to do it. Hey, so you're, the way you described everything was so good. I know it was 30-something years ago at this point, but tell me about the place, uh, about the woman and and that guy, if there's anything else that you can remember. I know you said, obviously, uh, She was just a people. little bitty thing. Uh, she was a little bitty thing with dirty blonde hair. Um and really, like I said, he was a heavy set fella, kind of rough looking, had a t-shirt on, uh, drunk by the time we left and ready to fight. Um, and that's about it. Uh, like I said, just some, some bad characters, really. Was this the only time that you ever had a run in with them? Yes, I've never seen them. I never saw them before. I've not seen them since. Is this one of those things where it happened that night, you were in a a CD place and, and you have this interaction with this guy and the next day you're like, wow, that was potentially dangerous. And then you never thought about it again, or is this something for the most part? That, okay. It's not something that it really just kind of came back to me, uh, for the first time in many years, uh, when I read the, the girl's article. And of course, after I listened to your podcast as well, yeah, I it mean, has been a long time. It had to be an impactful night to remember yes, things in, in such detail. Oh, sure. I, well, I mean, I'm, I'm like, what am I now? I'm 52 years old. It's the only time anyone's ever pulled a knife on me. I can, you know, <laughs> assure you that. Sure. And, uh, that's something I want to happen again. How did it make you feel when he pulled the knife and when you were 
conversating with oh, someone it, like it this. Oh, it was absolutely disconcerting. Uh, yeah, I think he meant business. Um, this guy was the real deal. No, I don't think it would have meant anything to, for him to slice somebody open by any means. It just the kind of fellow he was. And, you know, I think I mentioned to you before, uh, you know, if a guy's going to be that sloppy about mentioning something like that in front of total strangers, that soon after it happened, then certainly through the years, he's done the same thing, I would think. Yeah. Uh, at that, at, would almost have to have. at that point, it, you're, you're bragging about it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And like, like I said, you know, I know it's not much, but hopefully yeah, I, something will help. And, I think it's more important, you know, than, than you think it is because it's more important than you think. There's a lot of people that I know are going to have similar stories you know, not mm-hmm. similar in the way that it happened to you, but small, mm-hmm. small things that could affect the case that a lot of oh, people sure. aren't yeah. saying because the people were, you know, scary for the <laughs> lack of a better word. You know, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. That's been a, a common theme throughout this. Yeah. Everyone's yeah, scared yeah. of the people that we're asking about. Right. Well, whatever I can do to help, bud, and I wish you luck and uh keep at it okay yeah we will do that i appreciate you and if anything else comes to you 34 years later just give me a shout and i'll do that all right david have a good night thank you very much bye-bye bye-bye we did this and we did that david said he used the pronoun we and never i in all the interviews that we have done We have always had two names mentioned to us. It has always been one with the other. And this is what I'm talking about. David remembered the incident because it was the one and only time that someone had threatened him with a knife. What other interviews are we missing because the memory was not so firmly implanted in their minds? What other details of the night do we not have because too much time has passed? What stories are not told because they carried them to their graves? A very important thing to remember. David said the man who bragged about killing someone with a 4x4 was beyond the pale and giving off bad vibes. This man who casually threatened him with a knife and went on to beat up his girlfriend in front of another man, this could have been prevented. He could have been in jail. I am here to tell you that he and his partner did not stop hurting people the night that they murdered Jimmy Wade. There is a list of people the two of them have threatened, a list of people that they have physically harmed, and rumors of other people being killed. Is that the type of person that you want walking around in your community? Hello, podcast listener. Hope you're enjoying this episode of Small Town Forgotten. When you're ready for a break from the true crime genre, come join us over on Mostly Superheroes, a weekly pursuit for the world's best stories with an emphasis on live-action superhero stuff. I'm your host, Logan. Join me, PC Mike, The Giggler, Scotty Scoop, and Carrie for a breakdown of all the TV and movies happening each week. Find us at MostlySuperheroes.com and listen where you get your podcasts. Watch us on YouTube and Facebook and enjoy the rest of the show. The twins have made many relationships over the years while investigating Jimmy's murder. 
They visited David Brian White in prison on multiple occasions and have even babysat his twin grandkids. They've traveled out of state for interviews and knocked on countless doors. Folks have volunteered information to them at local restaurants, hair salons, football games, and church. The community is stepping up. The community is outraged that justice has not been served. 34 years ago, just before his birthday, Jimmy Wade Martin was beaten to death and no one has been convicted of his murder. That night, many people saw, many people heard, and many people still know the truth. Okay, Patty, um, yeah. how did you know my dad? Um, well, I was I was going with and and Jimmy came over to was our village where we lived and that's how I met your dad was Sue. And, and then what was he like? Oh, he was awesome. <laughs> he picked you laughing. He was he was rolling all the time. I mean, he was just really funny. Um, always full of laughter. Um, always smiling. Um. Yeah, I didn't trust him. He was—he he got really bad. 
I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, he just done a 360 and was a whole different person. And but he drank all the time, but you know, he was an alcoholic, but it was really bad. After that night, it was different. Um, so what, what all do you remember about that night on October 13th? The well, night that my dad was murdered. Well, I remember that evening and, uh, they came over there and told me that, uh, we was going to the bar to party. I said, oh, okay. And then about an hour later we left and it was just a block away. And then on the way down there, said, well, you know, if, if Kimmy's down there tonight, said, you know, we can't party with him no more. So the next time that he's around and we're going to kill him. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And I'm just not going into it. Just forget it. It's we was there at the bar then. And then the next thing I know, uh, we've been drinking quite a bit that day. Because I was over. And Mr. Wing came over and said, we're going to bar. So we went. But I don't know why he said that. And so I, I didn't I didn't understand it all. I knew the front window of the house was broke out, you know, on the glass door. And it was a car, but plywood up there, but I didn't know what had, nothing that had happened. I had no, didn't know nothing. And he said that to me. And then we went to the bar and he was and them didn't sit with me. They, they was, um, well, I thought they were back there by the pool table, but um, I was sitting at the bar. Well, Jimmy came up and talked to me he, and brush, he used my brush. He, he always combed his hair. He had beautiful mm-hmm. hair. And, and uh, he was a, uh, Combing his hair and talking to me, and he told me he loved me, and I was his little pot smoking turkey buddy. And then, uh, um, he, uh, when I gave him a ride over there, uh, by the state trooper's office, when he got done taking care of some business, and I said, What? He said, I gotta go take care of some business down the street. I said, Oh, well, I didn't think about, you know, I didn't know. Nobody knows before time, I guess. But anyway, he told me he loved me. He gave me a kiss. I said, oh, don't do that. He'll kill you. Well, I'm looking around, you know, looking for he was like that. He was mean mm-hmm. and, uh, and jealous. Well, anyway, I looked around and I didn't see They wasn't in there. Jimmy gave me a kiss. And, and then he told me about his truck, you know, where he wrecked it. And mm-hmm. he got his settlement. He was going to be getting a new another vehicle and uh i said well that'd be good you know he said yeah i got i got my check-in i think he said he just got in the next day or so ago and and then he had that money and he was gonna give him a vehicle and he said i gotta go take this business down the street and i'll be back and the next thing i know there was some he said some girls was out in the parking lot fighting and there's two or three fights going on out there. And, well, I didn't go out there because I didn't want to get into it because I was, I, you know, I didn't want to get, no. I just stayed inside. That way I'm, you know, I didn't get, get grabbed from drug around or in the fight. And uh, next thing I know, people was coming, uh, coming in the bar, screaming at uh, somebody down the street. <laughs> the top of their head was uh, knocked out, uh, hit in with the four before post is what they said. Well, at that time, I didn't know who it was, and I didn't go down the street. But then, uh, that's when um, the police, it seemed like they took forever for them to get there and, and that. But then when I got there, they I never seen no cops, really. I didn't go down there because I didn't want to get involved in that like that. Because I didn't know what was going on. And then 
next thing I know that they said it was Jimmy. And then we went to the hospital. I'm pretty sure, I think me and drove my car, which is my little sunbird. It was a 1980 sunbird. And came up there too. Um, and we sat there, we sat there together. But when I went in, we went in the double doors. And I think she left us where Jimmy was. And he just tore me up, you know. I can remember the things he did because, you know, he was a good friend, you know. And I just don't think that should have happened like that. Regardless of who and what done what, I don't think nobody deserves that, regardless of what they might have done. You know, it takes two to tango, you know. It takes two. Mm-hmm. You know. And then when, see, because I didn't understand it all when saying that in the car, I was like, what are you talking about? You know? Yeah. And he really, he wouldn't go into it, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then the next day, when we went over there, everything was different. I mean, it was weird. Uh, like I said, the day we just went up there, we rode up there and, and got out and talked to Jimmy's daddy. And, you know, I don't know what all he said. He really didn't say much when he got back in the car. I know you're but, the key to help behind bars for the murder of my dad um, I mean, you and you know other people who have came forward um so is there anything else you want to you want to say or talk about well I mean well I just hope that anything I might have said might bring some memory back to somebody else that something they might remember mm-hmm. that would help you know because this is wrong you know like I said, I don't care what somebody does, you know. It takes two to tango, and you don't know, you kill somebody because their wife done that, you know. You know what I'm saying? That's not right. That's not right. No, I, I mean, I don't know if this, if you think of anything that jogs your memory. David White was being chased by three people, my dad, someone else. Oh, no, I got my trunk in my car. I know that. Oh. And, and, and I know I had a hatchback, like I said, I had that. Uh, 1980 sunburn was red. Uh, had the hatchback on it, but the hatchback was broke. And I know he kept the ball bat in that car, and I know that there was a stick, you know, a square stick that held up the, you know, the hatchback because mm-hmm. it was so heavy. And and then uh, I can't remember if that stick or that ball bat was in there the next day or what happened with it. You know, I don't know. But I know the next day when we was at Olaf Village, the next morning, he said that he, went, he got a rag and he was wiping some blood off the car, so I don't know whose blood that was. I never, in a lot of dreams, thought it was for real. Mm-hmm. So, you know, years later, and little did I know that I heard that, you know, uh, they were supposed to I might have killed me if I hadn't got away when I did, maybe. Mm-hmm. So... Now, uh, looking back, I, you know, I didn't see it, but yeah, you know, it, it looks all different to me now. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when Jimmy was saying what he was saying, see, I didn't know anything about no fights or anything before that. Mm-hmm. And see, and that night they said this uh, David White, you know, was yeah. uh, the one done it, and he had confessed to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought well, he's the one that done it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I never thought about, you know, the T-shirt missing or the blood on the car and all this, because I know there was a couple of fights, two or three fights out there that night. There were some girls fighting, they said. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, but I know 
when he got drunk or anything told him to do, he would do it. When he was drunk, he didn't care. And then if him was together and told him to do something, he was going to do it. So that's why I say what happened that night told me what was going to happen on the water bar, but, you know, I didn't believe that. Mm -hmm. I just didn't believe that because they were best friends. And that's the last, you know, I remember them being best friends. I don't remember all this. I found out about all this after the fact, way after the fact. I just hope that anybody, you know, can hear what I'm saying and they can come up, they can maybe remember something that, to put the pieces all together like this supposed to go, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And after all this, you've got some peace of mind. Yeah. You, know, you deserve that. You know, yeah. you deserve the daddy the rest of your life, but you know, that's not going to happen, you know. But, you yeah. know, it's sad. Y'all had to live your life without your dad because he was a joy. He was awesome. He had a heart of gold. I mean, you know, when you'd say your dad, say you'd just jump in the river, yeah, I know, he would. <laughs> that, was, uh -huh. that was your dad. Yeah. Daddy. You know, he didn't care about your clothes. <laughs> He was having fun with you, you know? And I get that, you know? He didn't deserve to have to go got your dad. You didn't. And it's sad. And, and y'all need to get some justice, period. You know, whoever it might be, you deserve justice. I hope you know how much we appreciate you talking to us about this. And for one, it it's, you know, nice to hear stories of my dad. And then also, you know, it's, it's like we're trying to put a puzzle piece together and you're giving us some pieces of, you know, the, the missing puzzle that we're trying to put together. So, um, right. And I'm hoping that something I might have said will, you know, bring somebody else to, to remember more than, than I remember. Yeah. You know? Yep. And it's it, been know. happening. I mean, it's that's how we are where we are right now. And just little things, you know, the little thing you say, you might say, will make somebody else remember. Oh, you know what? You know? Something that I didn't remember that that would help y'all get justice for my friend too, because I loved him too, and it was wrong, you know. And this needs to come on and and do something needs to happen here because it's been what thirty over thirty years now. It's time. Oh yeah. It's time. It's, it's time. Past time. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. you know, and he needs to rest, and y'all deserve justice. You girls didn't, and I hate that y'all had to live your lives without your daddy, because he was awesome. He was a one of a kind. He was one in a million. Yep. He was so different. But, you know, anything I said, I hope dog somebody else's memory to remember something else that I don't know that will help bring justice to Jimmy. Another example of the twins' tenacity and warmth. Aunt Patty is what they call her, and as you heard, Jimmy Wade Martin was a dear friend. He was someone that helped her buy a car, fix it up, and treated her better than most. Patty heard him say that he and his partner were going to murder Jimmy Wade. David heard him say that he and his partner did murder Jimmy Wade. I know that this is not evidence. We've all seen enough TV to know that both of these stories are hearsay. Honestly, it's why I can play the interviews on the podcast. But it's just the tip of the iceberg of stories, of the circumstantial evidence. 
You remember Mr. Zabadow says that circumstantial evidence can be just as important as direct evidence. And we get it. We realize that unlike other podcasts that we cannot be counted on to have an episode every week or even every month. And also, like other podcasts, we can't even give you all of the information that we have. We tell you that we know who killed Jimmy Wade, but we don't give you names. We tell you that there are witnesses to the murder, but we don't tell you who, and we don't tell you what they have seen. We tell you that there is evidence, but we don't list what the evidence is. This is not one of those podcasts where you can listen to all the evidence and guess who the murderers are. Be a couch detective. This is a true story, and the chapters are still being created. In our hearts, the twins and small town forgotten have written the conclusion. And when you break it down, it's actually quite a simple crime, isn't it? The body was not hidden. In fact, he was still alive when the police arrived on the scene. There's no question that he was murdered by someone. No, the mystery is in the fact that despite all of the potential witnesses, no one was convicted of his murder. The first police report references three people chasing David Brian White, and one of those persons was Jimmy Wade. So who were the other two? Did the police ever find out? Do we here at Small Town Forgotten know? In episode 11, I mentioned that even the other two men who were chasing David Brian White never testified to seeing him hit Jimmy Wade. You could infer from that that we know who they were, and you would be right. You could also infer that either we are protecting those individuals or that those individuals are the two individuals that we think murdered Jimmy Wade. That's right. The two men who talked about killing Jimmy Wade before and after the night of the murder, these same men were in the vicinity of where Jimmy Wade was killed and one of them had clear motive. Dr. Zarekor said that Jimmy Wade had no defensive wounds. Now you tell me, do you still think that David Brian White did it? 34 years ago today, October 16th, Dr. Zarekor performed his autopsy on what should have been Jimmy Wade's 30th birthday. Time is trying to rob us of justice, but we have to resist. The two interviews we played for you just now matter. Every detail they gave us helps fill out the story of that night and inspires others to also come forward. We cannot thank them enough for their bravery in telling us what they know. We are not doing this for the dead. We fight for justice for Jimmy Wade, for the living, for the twins. It is for them that this matters, for Jimmy Wade's family, and for other victims' families. For the cases that are neglected, for the people who don't have influence or money or opportunity to get them solved. We fight because it matters, because the minute you shrug, and you say, why should we care, is the minute you stop making a difference. Next time on Small Town Forgotten. I guess he was at the funeral. I can't say I've never seen him again because I guess he was at the funeral. But <laughs> sat on the front porch, and uh, on, on Mom and Dad's front porch, when Gary and I walked in, 
and Gary spoke to him and um, I didn't know him and I don't know any of the other ones that were mentioned. I know, I don't even know if I could tell you what David White looked like even now because we went to several hearings and stuff. But Gary spoke of sitting on the front porch. He said, I don't know who that man is. He said, but he knows something or he's done something. He said, anytime a man won't look you in the face and shake your hand, there's something, there's something going on. And my husband said, just said that. But other than that, I don't, I just heard those names. I don't know who was involved, but I know I did hear that they were at, I think, the bar. They were all there at the bar. Oh, let me, let me tell you this real quick yeah, before please. I forget. She lived on Mound Street and she said she was Gary's aunt. And my youngest son actually stayed all night with his grandma and that was Gary's mom's sister. And um, she, had seen what happened and she never wavered from what she told the police or anybody else it was a man with a red baseball cap that was hitting another man and of course that time she didn't know that was my brother but um she never wavered small town forgotten is presented by blueburn productions writer and executive producer vanessa martin creative and executive producer ashton holsey director and executive producer sean lee martin and myself Small Town Forgotten is produced in association with Vagrant Media Productions, Brett Wiley, Jake Delaloy, Caleb Cook. Podcast distribution and digital strategy by Logan Janis with Kerrigan Ventures. Original music written and performed by Todd Holsey. For more information, please visit smalltownforgotten.com. Please like, follow, and subscribe on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Special thanks to the twins, Andrea and Angela, for their perseverance. I'm your host, Chris Holsey. Thanks for listening to Small Town Forgotten.